0: Welcome to the CORE Creative Podcast. With this podcast, we hope to promote local creative businesses and people. I'm your host, Jordan Hennessy from Flux Learning. And today I am joined by historical fiction author, Susan Lanigan. Co-resident Susan has published three novels to date. She has a particular interest in World War One and the surrounding period. Susan has a burning desire to rip through the sentimentalised narratives of this era and tell powerful stories that will keep the reader enthralled. In this episode, we discuss how history has a tendency to repeat itself, her writing process, her love for history, the challenges of being an author, censorship and her latest book. So you're very welcome to co-create with Susan. Thank you very much. So can you describe your writing style and the types of books you like to write to those not familiar with your work?
1: Yeah, I write mostly historical fiction, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, nearly all, except for my short stories, which are sometimes contemporary and sometimes other genres. But all my long form works are historical fiction
0: mm-hmm.
1: centered around World War One and the um, historical background to that, because it's a very fertile topic for not only Irish politics, but also what was happening in England, in um, the colonies of England, or uh, the UK, I should say, mm-hmm. and all those elements, there's just so much happening, going on, you know, that is mm. still resonating today. And people really haven't dealt with it or got yeah, past it. Definitely. It's my take that if somebody is dressed up as a giant poppy and appears on a cricket field, mm. in was a 2021, 2020, then we're not done with World War One yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got mm. some processing to do. So you like to write about that whole period of history. I like it because there's a lot of political subversion going on okay. that you can tap into. I think it's a terrible waste to simply tell a story straight about mm-hmm. World War One. You know, that mm. gallant Tommy goes to the trenches and you know gets a blighty or gets shell shock and then he recovers and he goes back. And you're know, ticking boxes. That's mm. I'm guilty maybe of it even a bit myself, but we tend to have these boxes you tick mm-hmm. when you do World War One, including Spanish flu, which I actually um was writing about uh, during the run-up and the early months of the pandemic. So that was interesting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was I was looking back at my draft and it said all about, you know, everyone was wearing a, a sanitary mask. And I thought, yeah, more masks, more masks.
0: Oh, my, <laughs> my gosh. How, how times have repeated themselves, huh? <laughs>
1: they do. Yeah, that's the whole thing. There's a meme that goes around on Twitter, mm. which is uh, like um, a picture of James Connolly. And you have all this slogan saying, well, now I effing warranty. I yeah, did, yeah, didn't I? Yeah, I warned yeah. You. Yeah. And i just be like 1914 to 1918 could have that meme. You exactly.
0: Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, history has a habit of repeating itself, unfortunately, sometimes. Yeah, mm. for sure. For okay. sure. OK. And can you describe your writing process and how your process has evolved from book to book?
1: Well, I think with White Feathers, my first novel, Mm -hmm. that was just an idea that was lodged in my head for quite some time. I tried to write a short story about it in 2009, but the story didn't really work. Okay, And then I sat down and I had this idea that I was going to write about um, disillusioned poets, all, you know, like Rupert Brooke. They all went and they lived in these um, kind of grand mansions and they wandered around naked Mm -hmm. and uh had their rituals like the Bloomsbury set and their adjacent little sets that all went to the same prep schools and, and that kind of thing. And then, of course, Rupert Brooke died in World War One, and um, he had a little sonnet that ended Forever England. But yeah, I was writing that and um, it was kind of going along and I had this idea of a kind of a, of a girl who didn't have that privileged background but who somehow ended mm-hmm. up with these people, fell in love and then got jilted and then um, gave the guy a white feather out of jealousy and uh, they were all so sophisticated and she just wanted to stick it to him but in the end what happened was I was working away writing that and I thought well she's got to get into that society mm-hmm. first so I just I, I gave her this um legacy to send her off to a finishing school and she went to the finishing school and then she's got to get educated so I got this teacher and this teacher just leans on the desk folds his arms and he says try to get out of here if you can possibly help us And the entire story turned left because I had inadvertently found my romantic hero. And after that, it was a completely different story. So that was the writing process behind White Feathers. Mm. And many of the other books I've written since then have been influenced by that storyline, the uh, element of betrayal of the White Feather and the other characters and their stories. And um, even... Uh, the current work in progress I have is about the Irish Civil War and okay. there is an element and um, one of the characters from White Feathers does end up there. Okay,
0: so is it very much of the moment that you write the book or do you kind of come up with an idea first how it's all going to work out or is
1: it very much just as
0: you're writing it a kind of ideas come to you?
1: I try outline, but what Mm. tends to happen is in the very early drafts of White Feathers, and this is where historical fiction can be handy. Mm. You scaffold your narrative around real events. Yes, So you have this battle, this battle, this battle, this battle, and you kind of string it along from battle Mm. to battle. But I find that it's very hard to keep control of a story to a very kind of granular degree. You have a kind of an overall thing that's working and then this detail changes and suddenly Mm -hmm. the whole thing just uh, turns right. turns left. You just have to really go with that when it happens. You
0: just go with the flow so as such. I think so, yeah. Very good. (laughs) Does your experience in software development and IT lend itself to a particular systematic approach to writing?
1: I think it's more the philosophy that mm-hmm. if you have a problem that you need to solve through working through an algorithm, it mm-hmm. can be solved. Mm-hmm. You just have to figure out the right steps, okay. And while writing is more intuitive and there's more it's more open mm-hmm. as to where you can go with it, writing fiction, I do find that when I'm deeply coding something or mm-hmm. kind of working out an algorithm for something or when I'm writing, I'm in that same mode of concentration.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, they're different, but they're little elements of similarity, I suppose.
1: It disciplines you into knowing that you can do a project, you can kind of make it into a sausage thing, you know, cut it up into little bits, you know, and just to do bit by bit by bit. Okay. It's good project management, really, is the main main (laughs) thing.
0: (laughs) Was it always your ambition to become an author? And when was the seed planted? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think ever since I was a kid, Mm I just wanted to write. So have
1: you always loved books?
0: You've always been an avid reader or...
1: Pretty much like when I was a kid, I just read whatever was there. I think mm-hmm. I remember once picking up books saying toilet training in, in less than a day or something and just reading it just because <laughs> it was there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always been there. The internet has um, dropped my reading output, but um, it's kind of going up again now because I've kind of, I've come to the end of the internet. So okay. I'm just <laughs> going back towards reading again. Go back to basics, so as such.
0: Pretty much. <laughs> okay. And you obviously have a grow for history with your books based in the First World War era. Do you feel a responsibility in your writing to present the historical
1: period accurately? I do, mm-hmm. because I think that sometimes people just put in stuff that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just little things even, because I'm a bit of a geek of the period, I'll notice. Like, I'll notice if uh, if a British soldier is fighting in the Battle of Verdun, I'll be looking up to see if that was the case. Okay, And in one not there was even a book and it was kind of about the theme of the, the white feather. And they talked about these people called feather men. OK. And I was like, who the hell are the feather men? Because I was there writing my book, looking at all my research books and all thinking, mm, I don't remember those. What the hell are those? And the author just made them up. Oh good fair enough. But the problem was they were all treating them like they actually happened. OK. You know? If you're going to embellish what you've got, you have to really know where fact ends and embellishment starts and maybe make a note in the acknowledgments then that you've decided to kind of go off on a riff yeah. i think that you do need to you do need to show that you have a competent handle on the period and mm-hmm. knowledge of how things would have worked because if you're winging it and just making up stuff the readers probably going to get a sense of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the thing is that the research is kind of interesting you know okay. it's just so bizarre about 90% of my stats for white feathers were related to stuff that actually happened Okay. Like the editor would say, that that's crazy. They couldn't have done that. Yes, they did. Yeah. Did they really say that? Yes, they did. (laughs) Did they really send a whole band of pipers over the front line and to get mowed down by the Germans? Yes, they did. Gosh, you love the whole research element of it as well, do you? Well, my prose doesn't tend to be very researchy. Mm. And I have been complimented for that, that I don't tend to dump everything. And I don't I I didn't get too many uh, kind of editorial remarks in that I brought in too much stuff. But it is kind of fascinating. And I think the fact is there's this kind of a bleak humor in a lot of the um, sources, Mm. primary and secondary. Like I read Goodbye to All That by Robert Graves and it was horrific. Really? It was Just day after day of slaughter after slaughter. And you just have this guy, and he just has this weary tone as, yeah, yeah. And then the way, the way, like, for example, I was doing a battle scene, Mm -hmm. which I had at least four different sources for, Mm -hmm. uh, I think three of them were primary sources. And I was reading them all and um, putting the battle together that they were trying to let off a gas. And they absolutely messed it up. They had the wrong, they didn't have a spanner, I mm-hmm. think, for the gas cylinders. And they're okay. looking for a spanner. And then the gas, eventually, when it was released, it floated back on them. <laughs> was, oh, gosh. Okay. okay. It was just a crap show. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And you write a blog. Do you find this a good way of keeping in touch with your audience in the periods between publication of your books?
1: Um, or is that a place to vent? <laughs> It's kind of more for me, I think, though. I have have tightened it up and I'm I'm trying not to share every single passing thought. I think the thing was, I was very active on Twitter. And then when all the Musk stuff started, Mm. I think I was gradually less and less. And now I'm mostly over on Mastodon and Mm. um, it's kind of nice and quiet there and I can ramble on and Mm. not get into fights. Because that was the thing. I think I was processing a lot of stuff to do with the um, kind of Irish literary world Mm. and trying to deal with it. And I wrote a bit about it. And then eventually I just thought, oh, I'm so sick. I'm just sick of these people and I'm sick of all of this. So I removed a few blog entries and um, just kind of um, refocusing all my energy at the moment.
0: And what is the most challenging aspect of being an author?
1: That essentially the world around you is a rigged game. Okay. It's rigged, and if you call it out or speak out, people get very angry Mm -hmm. because everybody needs to have their snout in the trough. Everybody's got their skin in the game, Mm -hmm. and most people who are working in the industry they would be struggling to combine a job and their artistic work. And if they rely on artistic income, they'll probably need assistance from you know bodies like the Arts Council or prize funds or whatever. And in order to feel comfortable getting these applying for these they are not going to be critical openly they're not going to say you know um this is wrong this is not appropriate they shouldn't have done this i had a i had a bit of a brush with the arts council a little while ago mm-hmm. and um, i put it up on twitter and i was i was kind of a bit annoyed because they'd sent out an inappropriate communication basically mm-hmm. and they did apologize to everybody who got it but there was silence actually on social media on twitter no irish person was speaking out okay um well except either those who were not involved in writing disproportionately people who are black oddly enough mm-hmm. <laughs> of you know, the six people who commented maybe because um well some of them were irish some of them weren't but i think maybe it's kind of the you know when you've seen the dark side of institutional prejudice you probably mm-hmm. have some kind of empathy yeah and you know just stuff like just just stuff like that it's very close-knit it's very tight and if somebody is ambitious enough and they want to elbow you out of the way and they have kind of their own power to do that. Mm. If you sort of say anything about that, there's enough people who are scrabbling their way up the greasy pole that they will absolutely kick you in the head to get you down the bottom. Okay, (laughs) yeah. And the stakes are so low. There's no money in this, guys. There is no money in this. Yeah. There's no point.
0: (laughs) So you either play by their rules or get out as such as this?
1: Well, like White Feathers and maybe to a lesser extent, Lucia's War, but Mm. particularly White Feathers is about... People who don't play by the rules Mm. and they get ostracised socially. So Mm. it seems to be it seems to be a subject dear to my heart. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) In your writing process, is there some additional software beyond the standard word processes that you use?
1: For the latest uh, novel I'm writing, Mm. it's a crime novel set in present day uh, Ireland, and also there's uh, flashbacks to the Civil War. Okay. I used Scrivener and I did a bit of Googling and, you know, about the Protestant people murdered in Dunmanway and um, other places. And I just stuck them all into my Scrivener and, and just pictures, whatever I wanted, notes. And I just wrote all the chapters and I kind of divided them up. And it was a very rough draft, but it was something. But the problem with Scrivener is it's hard to export it somewhere else. Okay, I had a license for Windows, but I didn't have a license for Apple. And I thought... But do you know what? I couldn't be arsed. I'll just export it as an RTF. Okay. And um, I'm even having problems with the way it does the headers because it formats the headers of each chapter or section. So they keep changing and just stuff like that. Okay. I'm not dissing Scrivener. I I was able to write a first draft and Mm. I wrote it very quickly. So, you know, it's good. But I don't find that I mind words so much either. And like you have editors come in and I have a feeling, I have this feeling that I'm going to be asked to set it and I'm going to refuse. OK, OK, OK. <laughs> for editors, you need word is what I'm saying. Yeah. Even for the comments, and the margin that you can't really work with Scrivener. OK, OK. So I think Scrivener has its uses. It's good for collecting stuff mm. and it's fine. And word is fine. And anything that has a screen and ability to type characters and indent the first line of each paragraph. That's all you need. <laughs> Very good.
0: Okay. And with the decade of commemorations coming to a close and historical fiction being a constant on TV and cinema screens, is an adaption of your work something you've
1: considered? I would love that. I yeah. would absolutely love that. I, I have even written a play one time and put oh. it on when I was a student in the creative writing program yeah. in Galway University. Yeah. Yeah, I would love it. I would love, 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 love them too. I, my, I suppose my fantasy would be that they take White Feathers and Lucia's War, which is the story of a, another character out of White Feathers, yeah. kind of put them together and kind of make it a whole big Netflix. Oh, series. yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. Because the thing with White Feathers and Lucia's War and also Unfortunate Stars, which is actually, it's got Germans in it mm-hmm. and it's set kind of in, the, in 1938. The thing with all of these is that It's not just the same old story. I've kind of, I do have a lot of representation. For example, I've actually had White Feather censored in translation. Okay. um, Because of LGBT content. Oh, right. That was, I'll talk about that for a moment, actually, if you don't mind. that was a very, that was an interesting process, really. I just got this mail saying, oh, it's a, you know, conservative country. We're not sure about the LGBT stuff. So I forwarded on to the publisher and said, help, what do I do? Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, there was back and forth and back and forth. And they showed me a sample of what they would do. And there was a scene, there's a scene in White Feathers. I don't know if you've read the book, Mm. but it's in, it's uh, when the two women, Sybil and Roma, are trying to drive a pigeon van, uh, Dunkirk. And uh, they're not getting anywhere very fast. But anyway, then there's a, then there's explosion and um, the guy who's supervising them is killed. And then there's this incredible erotic tension between the two of them and mm-hmm. um, that's kind of there with the excitement in commas of the mm. war than the attack and um when i saw the version that the translator sent back it was as if somebody had picked up a dyson gone to the scene and hoovered out all the power and all the forcefulness mm. and the connection between sex and death and it just didn't work. So anyway, what we did was I gave up a more explicit scene further on mm. in, the, in the book to retain that one and to retain at least a reference that had a connection that was more than friendship. And I think I think we got the best uh, deal we could. I mean, I'm not making any judgment on that decision because I'm comfortable here. No one's going to throw a brick through my window. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't tut us so much. I think if the story can be retained, if the spirit and heart yeah. of the story it's still there. That's the main thing. And that's what might have been lost. But um, Kunak and O'Brien Press did a great job of um, making sure that it was there.
0: And do you find that frustrating, though, having them come and wanting to take out stuff out of your book? Isn't that integral to the book?
1: Well, i had been through the whole editing process yeah. and I had jumped so much of the book that it was less alarming and shocking okay. than if I was totally new to the process. Yeah. But I wasn't sure what line to take. And I kind of, I'd never been censored before. Yeah. I don't know what I had either. I remember emailing her saying, it's not every day we're hugging over sex scenes yeah. before nine in the
0: morning. Oh Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. least <laughs> so oh, "That's the joys of publishing. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's it. Okay. And what piece of advice would you give to other aspiring authors?
1: Conserve your energy. Be careful on social media. Mm. Be very careful of other writers. And I will say this, if you get a really egregiously awful review in a national newspaper, don't stay quiet about it. Mm -hmm. Don't kind of do what the PR people tell you to do, which is gloss over it, Mm -hmm. fight. Mm -hmm. Because I should have done that when it happened to me, and Mm -hmm. I didn't. And this sounds bad because you're saying that, you know, to challenge criticism, but if there's something else going on, if it's not really legitimate criticism and and you see other work that's just not as good as yours getting the, getting the the shoe in, then I think you're entitled to speak up and say, I don't respect that opinion, mm-hmm. I don't think it's valid, I think it's been written out of ulterior motives, I discard it and I reject it.
0: Okay, okay, fair enough. And what are the plans for the future? So you, you mentioned there that you have, you're you writing a book, so at the moment, is it?
1: Yeah, I work full time mm-hmm. um, with a logistics company in mm-hmm. IT, so um, I don't always have a lot of time and it's taken me longer than I'd like, but... I just feel since the beginning of this year, I don't feel as stressed about how long it takes. I realize that sometimes when I'm kind of blocked with the scene, it's because I'm missing something. Mm. And then this, the thing will just occur to me and it'd be a little click and I'll say, OK, well, I have what I need to start that scene or mm. write that scene. Like in the most recent example, it was basically this. The murder victim was a bit of a femme fatale, I suppose you could say, that okay. she just was the kind of woman that men fell in love with. Yeah, And I had to write one of these scenes and I don't consider myself a femme fatale and I don't <laughs> know what the right thing is to say, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure what the dialogue should be. Yeah. But then I kind of got a little bit of inspiration. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Mm. That's my way in. So um, that's how I did it. Do you hope to have it finished this year? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes.
0: I'm, I think that's a reasonable goal. And is there a name on this book? The Planter's Daughter. Oh, very good. Very, so we'll keep an eye out for that. So the Planter's Daughter.
1: Might I add um, yep. that my story, The Defamation Suit has now been published in the Cork City Library's Words Three anthology. Very good. I was in the library. And I'm so delighted that that story has been finally published. I've been pushing for it and pushing for it for so long. And I was able to turn a rubbish experience into a call to action and speaking a truth to power. So I think of all the things I've written, I'm really proud of it.
0: That's great. Well done. Congratulations. Very good. Thank
1: you. I'm delighted.
0: So thanks so much, Susan, for joining us on the CORE Creative Podcast.
1: Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Geraldine. Thanks so much.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Susan and her books, you can find links to her website and social media on corecreative.com.